Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. When you're walking down the street, anybody that you walk by could be Agent Smith. Is this reality or is this just another matrix? We'll try to answer that question today. Mr. Anderson. I mean, Mr. Perot. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to Wonder Tour. This is episode 38. Sometimes I say the episode number and sometimes I don't. I like to keep you guessing. And you know what? That's uh, it's all part of the process. So how you doing today, Drew? I'm great. Ready for this? Yeah, I'm really excited for the, the deep dive on the Matrix. This is what I... I think I was built for, or at least, you know, when I'm curious about myself, it seems like this is what I've learned is that what I'm built for is these kind of crazy, hypothetical, philosophical musings. <laughs> Can I give you a perspective that I think colors this discussion today, which is mannerisms? It is nuances. Um I have I have like a library. I'm just ready to unload today. I can't wait uh, for our discussion because I think there is something. It's not something that's off. It's not something. It's it's not wrong about the world. I don't want anybody to think that it's not. It's not like that. But it is something that we get to talk about and we need to wonder about today. Um, and it's these. It's the uh, the social and cultural matrix, right? Um, and, and before anybody thinks that we're going on some kind of political diatribe, we're not, <laughs> this is what's funny. This cuts across every class, every, everyone, right? Uh, every, you know, every type of person that's out there. Um, we all have these things that we do and then we learn them from other people. Uh, one I can give you an example of is that I have encountered a certain, like a head tilt. Uh, and when someone's talking and I, it's a certain group of friends or colleagues, I forget which, but essentially, you know, it's just kind of like when the person's talking, they start kind of tilting their head a little bit to the left and changing their way their words are coming out. And I'm like, what's going on here? What do you think about that, Drew? Have you run into stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, these are the things that people don't even think about. Let's start with defining culture. I like to me, it. to me, culture is everything that's not said. That's what the definition that I've heard of it before. And again, no one definition does a grandiose concept like culture. <laughs> you know, you can't just define it with a single phrase. There's different angles on it. For me, that's a good definition. That's everything that's not said or maybe, you know, how 
how the system works when nobody's monitoring it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's so much about that that is easy to slip into. And some of it's great, you know. I mean, some of it's really good. Some of it really doesn't even matter. But for someone like myself, maybe like yourself, right, we uh, – I just don't want to speak for you, that's all. Um, but, you know, we notice these things. And for me, it gets to me after a while because I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Everybody's doing that in the room right now. I just don't want to. I don't want to do that <laughs> because they're kind of like comfort reinforcing or something. And I think, though, as leaders, right, we get into these uh, paradoxical moments where we're like, we can't feed that. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever had that moment where you're like, I'm not going to feed this. I can't yeah. feed into this. Well, you're. You're preaching to the choir here because as we've discussed before, my personality aligns well with like the nonconformist. So I generally want to do as soon as somebody as soon as I can put a model to how the to the kind of the conformance way of doing things, I'm usually trying to find a different way. <laughs> and, and sometimes sometimes the the normal you you know, the standard approach to dealing with things is right. And of course, you know, I'm not against it. And sometimes it's easier. So, you know, in terms of energy input, so you need to take that road sometimes. But I'm always looking for the opportunity to take the road less traveled. Exactly. That's the leadership path. And when we're talking about magnanimous leadership, it would be the road less traveled for the good of others. And very often you are taking that road less traveled so that somebody can develop as a leader and learn what they need to learn. And with, you know, our last episode, we talked about how there are many unspoken lessons that need to be learned. And to be a good leader, you have to be willing and, and have that patience, right? And set these scenarios up, set up these dojos for people to learn. And in this case, we're talking about this kind of cultural social matrix of you know there's stuff going on around you it could just be work. let's just talk about in context of work habits we're not talking about ideology today so if you're an ideological hound sorry you're not going to get that kind of content here that's not that's not what we're about we want to we want to speak for the good of others you know all the way through so i'm not gonna you know we're not going to do any divisive anything so um but these things are universally applicable and it's just what's normal around you as far as behaviors and how you handle a certain thing. I think meetings are uh, an excellent example of how does somebody handle a meeting? How do they, what are their expectations going into a meeting? Some people like, you know, they love to make like a very structured agenda down to the minute and they love to run their meetings like that. Other people like to go in with, Hey, what about this thought? You know, so keep that in mind as we talk through today. And we want to bring it back though, to the matrix because it's a great context, right? So we're going to talk about, we're going to do a little segment here today called What If? And my question to you, Drew, is what if Neo said, I'm not following that white rabbit. I'm going back to programming. I'm going to go play Fortnite or whatever. I don't want to do this. And every time that the people showed up to red pill him or blue, anyway, he's just like, I don't want either of your pills. I'm going back and doing whatever I want. What, what if that was the case? If, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what if he wasn't curious, you know? 
Oh, I love this the question. I think what happens if he's not curious is the system now has to react to that. Because actually in this situation, we kind of learn that the system is expecting the one. The system is built around the one. We we really learned that in the second movie, right? That uh, the one is a construct that keeps the system churning. You know, you, it keeps the system iterating. The one creates the end of the one system and then the new, you know, the end of one matrix, basically, and the start of the next. So if... That's a that's just a great thought exercise of what happens. It's like, does the whole thing burn to the ground because it doesn't have the one and it needs the one in order to regenerate or re- be rebuilt? I think we all have these moments where, you know, we may have a chance to be the one for a particular end group or some kind of a work group that we have, right? And I think you're right. I think there is a certain amount of, and this is interesting because this kind of connects in with the nonverbal learnings that we were talking about in the previous episode about curiosity, you know, being curious and having those nonverbal experiences. But if you're, if you don't actually have the one, if that leader doesn't do anything, I think stagnation persists for a while but I agree with you. I think that that particular system ultimately collapses. So it's interesting because I think if you pick the one, the system will collapse. Uh, but if you don't pick the, you know, if you don't choose to be the one, the system also collapses. So ultimately, I think there's never long-term stability. The system will always collapse either way. But it's will it collapse in a good way or a bad way? What do you think about but that? Yeah, if you if people have agency then I, those two poles tend to seem logical to me that, yes, eventually it all burns to the ground or we come to some solution. It's one or the other. And, and you know, in the matrix, they might be one and the same. So but what actually happens here, right, is that they create a third path. That's what happens in the second movie is they they try to create a third path, right? It's like they're like, OK, yes, it could burn to the ground. Well, I guess it's kind of what happens in the third movie is they create the third path. Yes, we can burn it to the ground. Or we can, uh, you know, again, we can restart it. We can rekindle the flame with a new matrix, essentially, which is what the architect is asking them to do. And then the goal, though, is like, how can we, is there a third door? Or is there like, can we take this door sideways or upside down instead of going through it right side up and, and get a different result? Well, let me take this back to the social cultural context, because there are consequences for going against those and you can be the social cultural cowboy. Okay. You could do that. And that becomes your identity in that particular social contra- uh, cultural context. Again, we're not talking about anything where, you know, you're doing like breaking laws or no, we're following laws. We're doing the normal things, but you're just not doing the things that people are doing around you. Right. You're being completely uh, contrarian. I think that's about the best way to say it is position yourself as a contrarian. There are consequences for that. What Neo teaches us in the third movie, I believe, uh, is that he is going to strike a balance between being part of the matrix and not right. And what that brings is neutralization. Right. And uh, so I think it's interesting is that when we think about, you know, a certain vocal pattern or certain, you know, head tick, uh, a certain way of making your presentation, 
a certain way of presenting your material, explaining your material, whatever it may be, uh, a certain way of making your business plans. It doesn't matter. These are all things that you can fall into. They're matrix-like. What do you think about the idea that there are times where you need to be full-on Neo? There are times where you need to be part of the matrix. However, there are times when you, you are, need to be Agent Smith, <laughs> right? Where you're there's times when you need to be Agent, Agent Smith. Yes, because you've yeah. got to empathize with Agent Smith. You know, you've got to, yeah, you've got to be an agent on the inside as well. And I think there's, the thing is, is like, even in that, even if Neo was, let's say, Agent Smith for a second, another what if, um, he never truly becomes Agent Smith, right? He never lets Agent Smith change him. Is that thought resonating with you? He doesn't. So I want to try to pull this back because you talked about ideologies and how we're not going to get into them. And I want to talk about why, because I think it's perfectly aligned with what we're saying here. The reason that we're not interested in talking ideologies is because ideologies are something that you come to with a way of thinking or, you know, you kind of convert to based on a culture or something like that. What we are instead proposing is that we have the conversation you know, outside the matrix, essentially, right? We're saying like, let's have a powwow in the in the real world, outside the cultural matrix, try to, you know, pull our brains apart from these ideologies. And we're going to teach someone and learn ourselves a way to comprehend the world. So instead of hitting somebody with an ideology, we are going to teach them how to learn about the world. And thus, if they are taught well, then they themselves will learn to find reality. They, you know, they don't have, you don't have to teach them about the ideologies of how the matrix is run and who's running it and what their, you know, what their agenda is and stuff like that, right? If you teach them how to think about the world and they find themselves inside the matrix, naturally over time, they will discover what they need to learn because they're searching for truth. They're searching for like things that are stable to hold on to and they're not settling for the norms. Yeah. And, you know, pain, uh, pain that you haven't kind of gone through and processed, I think can taint that. And that's, that's something as a magnanimous leader is that you have to engage, you know, your prior pain and, and make sure that that's not something that is clouding your vision. And there's so many times where that creates the chip on the shoulder, <clears throat> right? And that kind of gets people into these tussles and different things. And again, we're not engaging that because we're, it's not that, oh, well, we're so beyond that. We're, we're flying on the cloud and in the sky, you know, it, it's not really like that. It's just like, we just don't have time. We, we have such a finite life, right? And I think that's really, if you're living from a magnanimous perspective, you realize there's just not time for that. What there's time for is looking at where other people are, maybe before you, maybe there's people that are older than you that need magnanimous leadership in their life. This is not always like young versus old and the young learn from the old and the old teach the young. You know, this is whoever, wherever they are in that journey, becoming a magnanimous leader, they have to learn from the person who is more magnanimous. <laughs> It could be somebody younger like yourself, Drew, like you've taught me a lot of stuff. Right. And you have you've I'm going to say you're like a spark that like reignited 
or not even reignited, ignited a part of me that I had kind of walled off potentially, right? So I think that's interesting because then I turned back and I was like, here, here's your spark, right? So I think that's the key, you know, is once you break somebody out, you know, uh, there still could be part of them that's kind of like, you know, hung up or something. Uh, what do you think about that? You know, you can kind of be kind of partially and partially out, right? You, you can. It's like a gradient that you almost have, like that you're filling in. I What you said there is helpful, I think, because when we talk about magnanimous leaders and in the end, that's our goal. So here we're using the example of like breaking people out of the, the matrix, uh, you know, the cultural or the social matrix, whatever it's kind of holding them back from becoming that magnanimous leader it's it's almost like a warm light a lot of the time that somebody's shining on you that's what it feels like to me it feels like a warm light that i have had a number of people in my life shine on me this warm light and over time i come around it's like i'm almost like cold-blooded and otherwise i was just going to stop moving and i i warm up and then i go and and naturally just shine that light on other people and and do it in such a way that yes, I mess it up. Of course I mess it up sometimes, but I do, you know, it's not, a lot of times it's not pointed, it's not direct, it's not exposition. It's just, we're going to live in such a way that we will then kind of build these structures that will help other people go that way. And that's how you form culture, right? Is like, you don't form culture by talking about it, by telling people what the culture should be. You form culture by helping people to take a different mindset and thus you'll change the rituals of the culture. And once the rituals change, now suddenly what happens when nobody's watching changes because people have been transformed by the mindset and the rituals, by their view of themselves, by their view of each other. And so getting back to your example there, Derek, right? You know, I, I'm, honored that you would even say that I was able to help light a spark in you. But then I've seen you kind of take that. And like you said, you you lit a spark in me and you went and lit a spark in a bunch of other people as well. And you just keep doing it. Right. But you do it most of the time by asking questions and just kind of like walking near to them with the warm light. And some people are averse to it because they don't they kind of reject your nonconformist way of doing things. They reject the hey, why are you trying to do things different than the standard process? And others, they just, you know, they take to it so quickly because they're like, wow, it's almost like you see that there's something deeper than just this base layer going on here. And once you show people not what, you know, you're not like, oh, you know, we're all all sheep, you know, you gotta be a lion or whatever. No, it's not like that. (laughs) It's not like you're peeling back the layer of reality your uh, job is not to tell them what's underneath, <laughs> right? Your job is to show them how to think about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that really is that. That's the the red pill moment. Once you start, you can see greatness in other people. Thank you for those words. That was really good. Um, you know, once you're able to see uh, the greatness that is in other people, it makes you want to be more of a magnanimous leader. And I'm not saying that from my own, like, oh, look at me. Oh. I'm just saying, like, regardless of where I'm at, it doesn't matter. It, the process here, it opens your eyes to what you could do to help somebody get there. That's all it is. It isn't, it isn't about personal greatness whatsoever because you realize that truly, in the end, you'll treasure what you did 
for somebody else, you know, like, and it's just for you. It's not for you to be like putting up a big billboard and saying, I helped 3,475 people in my lifetime. That's not it. It's not about that count. Um, you just have peace. And I think it gets you to a place where you have more peace about, you know, what you did with your life as a leader. You you actually help people, you know, find kind of a way out of, you know, some of the cultural norms. Again, they, these things are just more like distractions. And I think that's it's like that, you know, the black cat in the Matrix, right? It's it's kind of a distraction. It's also a blip. And I will see that. I think it's interesting, you know, about these black cats, right? You see these like repeating events, right? Um, you know, this is something that we were talking about previously. And it really takes a lot of, I don't want to say mindfulness, but it is. It's like, you know, paying attention to what's going on. I'm not, I'm not so esoteric with mindfulness. I'm like literally like, what is going on in the room? What are the nonverbals, right? If you're not in the room and you're on a video chat, what are the nonverbals there? Is somebody's mic hot? <laughs> That's always my fun one. I'm sorry, but it's just too funny. They're like, hey, can you get that stuff out of the dryer? I, um, I think you have your mic on. And <laughs> it's just really funny to me <laughs> because that right there is something that I think as magnanimous leaders, I'm sorry, but it's a small thing. However, it's a window into somebody's life. And when you can get that, you get a glimpse and I think the rest of us who aren't really thinking outside of the matrix, quote unquote, are like, even a little bit, they're like, that person's a little more human to me, right? That person's a little more tangible to me. And it's a step towards kind of caring about what's going on with that person. You know, and as leaders, I think that's, you know, we want to, that's where we got to get to, right? That's, that's ultimately why we're doing this talk today, right? Hmm. You gave me a lot to think about there. I do agree with you, what you were saying before, kind of with where you've let it be. Yeah, like there's not a red pill moment, really. It's it's just not like that. There's a lot of red pill moments. There's a lot of moments where you realize that, like, maybe this thing isn't as important as it you were believing that it was before. Maybe this thing isn't as much of a core of belief as it is kind of a tangential belief for me. Or maybe this thing isn't you know, is it founded in what I thought it was founded in? And I need to kind of rethink and be open-minded and have that growth mindset to understand, okay, now I need to start asking questions to understand, is this true or is this just something that I had put in the place in my head of like something that's true? These habits, you know, they can, you can get really good habits. You can get really good leadership habits, right? And then you can also live small and lead small inside a set of habits that really need to be broken out of. And, uh, you know, as we continue, like you said, it's these multiple red pills. You really end up in another matrix and you break out of that one and you end up in another matrix and you break out of that one, which is it goes back to what I said in the last episode, which is this whole Russian doll thing. You know, you got the tiny doll inside or whatever, and that's kind of where you start out at and you keep working your way up. You just put another doll in there. And, it, you know, we've we've talked a lot about how. You know, as you have the growth mindset, you incorporate more into your map of reality. This is a Scott Peck, you know, concept. Uh, I loved how he put that in The Road Less Traveled, which is, you know, that your map continually expands. And he didn't he wasn't like the 
you know, the ultimate creator of that. But he did bring that to my, you know, to the forefront for me. That's a talk about a red pill book that breaks, uh, you know, your social cultural norms and whatnot. Right. Very uncomfortably. The guy's like, you got to lean into your pain, you know, um, but that's the process. Yeah. It, you just keep breaking through the walls and it just gets bigger. Right. And as you do that, you're, you're helping more people. Um, and they're all in different levels of the social cultural matrix, right? What, what can uh, yeah. they walk into a meeting and tolerate? Can they tolerate somebody's like, you know, little tick or whatever they got going on? And do they understand where that comes from or do they not even notice it? Right. It's Ooh. one gauge as a leader that, you know, you can use. Hmm. I think in business, so we've talked a lot about kind of breaking the matrix and breaking ourselves and others out of the matrix and how it's just, it's this patient process that Morpheus really kind of shows us. He shows us what it's like to have to break somebody out of the matrix. Like, yeah, you got to show up and you might have to fight sometimes, but most of the time it's like this experiential learning thing where you're just showing somebody how to think and you're, you're, you're willing to learn from them as well because you don't, you don't imagine that you have all the answers. But I think, so we've talked a lot about being contrarians and eh, there's, you know, again, like we said, there's times you got to be Agent Smith and there's times that you need to be Neo. I do think that in business, contrary, being a contrarian in a good way, having a growth mindset or being a curious explorer and being a contrarian gets rewarded in the long run. It might not in the short run because you run up against a lot of a, a lot of status quo doing that. And you waste a lot of energy. I can give a great example, right? One of one of the great initiatives that I ever was a part of, or ever have been a part of in my whole life, was you know creating a huge community of people um, within corporate America. The first time that we proposed this concept to like the highest of levels, we kind of got like shut down, and it, it, you know we kind of I don't want to say laughed at, but that's almost what it felt like. It, it did feel like that to me, but I was so sure that this was the right direction, that we just had to keep going, right? We had to keep being contrarian and going against the current way things are or things were. And years later, you can look at it and be like, yeah, and it succeeded. Eventually, the contrarian thought became is, is becoming the cultural norm now. That yeah, we need these communities. And it's not one community. We yeah. need many communities. Yeah, it's a, it's a respectful contrarian, right? And I think the that the magnanimous leader is a respectful contrarian. They're not in a, you know, because you've got, you got the image of the rebel. We'll kind of, you know, wrap on some of these concepts here. But I want to say, like, you know, cowboy is such a sexy sounding term, right? And, oh, well, oh, yeah, just a, he's a cowboy, you know. And a cowboy is kind of someone who does some things almost for their own personal rebellion, right? And a rebel is part of an alliance. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think I think as a magnanimous leader, I think you, you've got, you know, the this more of alliance mentality. Right. And really, as a rebel, you you pick your battles. Right. Sometimes you got to hit hyperspace and get out. Cowboys really don't do that. I think cowboys are very committed to the action that they are going to undertake and everybody else it doesn't matter what they think right so that's a little bit hard contrarian as a cowboy right a rebel someone who understands the bigger narrative the bigger battle and 
I think that's where the magnanimous leader fits. And I think that's where, that's where you fit, Drew. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to pigeonhole you, you know, cause this is, this is actually literally a podcast about cultural, you know, cultural and social uh, matrices. Right. So it's kind of funny, but you know, I, I do think that you've often uh, followed the rebel and, and not necessarily the cowboy. And you realize that there has to be an alliance built and that you've got to pick your battles and you got to do it respectfully. Right. And a rebel, does respectfully well barring uh poe dameron and his <laughs> his berating of uh what's his face uh in uh, episode eight which i thought was pretty funny but at the same time i'm like really breaks up the the action that i thought was going to happen here right at the beginning of the movie right of episode eight you know what i'm talking about where he's like uh can i talk to this guy you know <laughs> yeah is this uh, the first order <laughs> yeah finn yeah you know well, I wasn't Finn, but anyway, it's fine. He was trolling the guy, you know, he's trolling, uh, the, you know, the leader of the first order, you know, at the time, uh, he was trolling. Oh, him. He's like, oh yeah. yeah. Am yeah, I on uh, with, uh, uh, I could pick you. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Anyway, it's fine. Yeah, I'm not uh, as good on the sequel fair. trilogy, pulling everything out of it. <laughs> I wonder why. No, that's <laughs> fine. Um, but you know, ultimately, you know, being that rebel, right? Being respectful about the contrarianism. I think that's that's the real thing that I'd like to take away too with, you know, a magnanimous leader is going to notice this stuff. And then what you do with it, what you do with it. Now, what two things you can do with it. One, you can say, this is just extra information. You can you can extrapolate trends between people and you can say, these people seem to have the same uh, cultural, social you know, thing going on here. So I need to take that into my memory and realize that if I convince this person, I should be able to convince these other people of my concept or change. So as a leader, right, you want to pitch to those people similarly. Um, I think the other thing is too, is that sometimes you may want to engage and just be aware as a magnanimous leader, you know, you want to do that for the good of others. Be careful. You may try to red pill you may be like, can you believe that you guys are doing this? This, you know, this presentation style is very like, you know, begging type presentation style, um, you know, and you don't want you don't want to get into that, guys. You know, whatever, whatever it may be that you um, kind of, you know, clash with. You have to pick that very carefully. You have to decide whether you're going to engage that as a magnanimous leader or not. And you don't do it because you want to be right. That's the cowboy. Cowboy wants to be right, doesn't care if anybody develops. The rebels, you know, the rebel, I think that's a person who uh, is is looking at the, the bigger picture, right? And they have some kind of narrative that they're playing into, and they realize that, you know, the outcome of battles, you know, they matter, you know, um, and that you don't just waste a battle opportunity. You know, you got to, what do you think about that? Cowboys and Rebels. Did you realize you're going to get into that today? No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know there were <laughs> Cowboys and Rebels in the Matrix. But no, that's right. You're absolutely right. They are the Rebel Alliance. That that's absolutely what they are. They're they're coming forming up for the good of the people to break them out essentially. And the you know the way that they do it is sometimes in battles and is sometimes just in thoughts and questions. <laughs> and it's. It's brilliant that way, right? No one movie could explain how this all works. But for me, my takeaway here is 
you know, how might we help others to see a right view of themselves and a right view of reality? And if we can help to do that, then and again, not like you said, not by telling them how it is, not by telling them, well, really not by telling them how you think it is, but instead by just asking the right questions and telling stories that help them to expand their view of the narrative to see things that might not be obvious on the first couple takes. Yeah, it's that, I, I want to call it magnanimous posturing, right? You don't say anything when you're posturing. You just do, you know, leadership, right? You just, you just are, right? And I think that is truly the key here is in these kind of situations where cultural and social, it gets a little tricky and it's something that people are like, you're super weird. Honestly, you could be like, that that's the way they could take you. It's like, you're super weird for noticing that. And what it really, you know, for you, you are more red-pilled, right? You have noticed this stuff. You're picking up this information. You're on a different plane of thinking about the situation. But remember that you will be misunderstood. And we can talk about plenty of wise people that have been misunderstood over the years. So I, I don't want to get into all that, but you know, you will be misunderstood if you red pill the wrong people at the wrong time for the wrong reason. <laughs> so as oh, 100%. later, and you yeah. got to combine this it, as always, we have to combine this new, I, you know, thing that we're talking about here today with all the other ideas about magnanimous leaders. So this doesn't stand on its own. It stands as one perspective of the magnanimous leaders, kind of the posture and even just one perspective of the posture of the magnanimous leader. So I think when you take it in whole, that's when we start to be able to see, okay, yeah, it, there is an importance in trying to help people to see their real narrative and not just see the, you know, what's physically right in front of them. But the way that we do that, we need to take all these other magnanimous, these other characteristics of a magnanimous leader and these other techniques and tools into the equation when we figure that out. Because if you just started with that one thing of like, hey, you know, you're basically go to go back to inception, right? Like you're, you're essentially telling somebody like your reality is not real. Like this isn't real. You're waiting for a train. You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's like red pill five when you need red pill one. Right. Yeah, exactly. You, yes. You're you trying to feed somebody a red pill. pill five. Exactly. You're trying to feed somebody a red pill like the size of their face. It's just like, oh, uh, <laughs> maybe they, they might be able to take it. But like they're they might also like get hurt in the process of taking that pill. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, that, that's great. Um, I think we're going to wrap it right there. Uh, I, this has been great, Drew. I mean, definitely a level down in the uh, the dream, uh, a level deeper in the matrix. I don't know. It's You never cease to amaze me. So, All right. So if you had anything else you wanted to add to that, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think you can pretty much just add just about anything to that. Uh, tell us your favorite uh you know nervous tick uh your favorite uh cultural tick that you could think of if you if you want to do that uh hit us up on the wonder tour on twitter and next time we're going to be doing a little bit of a throwback uh drew you introduced me to this movie and i'll let you talk about it for a second there oh we're going back to treasure planet the 2002 animated movie from disney it's a adaption of the treasure island book 
it's a short watch, but for me, I have always really liked this movie. I like the character arcs in it. Um, just like a lot of the Disney animated movies from around that time, there's some cheesiness to it. And there's some, they, they put in some of these goofy characters like Dilbert, who's like this really like out there guy in some of these scenes. You're like, is that even comic relief or is that just like out of the blue? Like it doesn't even almost make sense in, in the story, but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And I think it's a really good place to take uh, kind of as we wind down this curious explorers and start to wind up our next story that we're going to find ourselves in. Uh, I just love Treasure Planet for, you know, number one, the soundtrack is awesome. If I'm going to sell you one, go on and watching it. You've never seen it before. James Newton Howard does the soundtrack. John Rzeznik of the Goo Goo Dolls does the main theme of the song or of the movie. It's great. <laughs> and in keeping with today's theme, it has a character called Morph but not Morpheus. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so we got that link to the matrix. Uh, anyway, I'm just joking. Um, yeah, but he's a shapeshifter and uh, it adds a lot of ca- uh, color to the story. And I really like that, that aspect of it. So, all right, we will wrap it right there. We will see you next time. And remember, not all who wonder are lost. Mm-hmm.